0: Well, as you've joined us for this series in Numbers, if perhaps you're here for the, the first time, uh, we're, we're doing a series where we are picking things up from Numbers chapter 13. And in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, God's people came right to the edge of the promised land. Twelve spies were sent to scope it out. They came back 40 days later with a report. In fact, two reports, a majority report and a minority report. Ten of the spies said, Yes, the land's flowing with milk and honey, but we cannot go up because the people are like giants. And Moses and and Josh and Caleb said, no, we can go up because our God is with us. And the tragedy of chapter 14 was God's people did not go forward in faith, but they went backward in unbelief. Now, last week we looked at chapter fifteen, where God showed grace to his people and reminded them of his promise that the young generation would enter into the promised land. But as we pick things up in chapter sixteen, we see the symptom of what happens when you go backwards in unbelief. When you are not in a spiritual good place, you'll rebel against the Lord. You'll grumble, you'll complain. People might be your targets, but at the end of the day, your biggest problem is with the Lord. And in this chapter, we're going to see how God both warns his people that he is holy. And you can't play games with a holy God. But he also encourages his people by reminding them that he is merciful. And anyone who comes in faith and repentance can go forward. At the heart of this passage is the people's rejection of Aaron, the high priest. And in many ways, this chapter prepares us and points us forward to Jesus, the high priest, the great high priest of his people. So, so as with that in mind, let's look at this chapter. Now, I'm going to divide this chapter in two sections, verses 1 through 40, which we're going to call the South Side Rebellion, because there are two tribes involved in it. The Levites, and they're led by Korah. And then there's the Reubenites, and they're led by Dathan and Abiram. And the reason it's called the South Side Rebellion is these two tribes were positioned on the south side of the tabernacle. And then we're going to look at verses 41 to 50 under the heading, the Israelite Rebellion. Because the next day, all of the tribes rebel against the Lord. So we have three rebellions, three revolts, where they reject Moses and Aaron, but as we see, they're ultimately rejecting the Lord. And the pattern that happens is, God's people rebel, Moses and Aaron respond, God then responds. So as we walk through these three rebellions, that's what we're going to see. The people rebel, Moses and Aaron respond, God responds. So let's begin. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. Now Korah, the son of Izar, son of Kohath, son of Levi... And Dathan and Abiram, son of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. Now, in the first revolt that takes place from verse 3 to verse 11, the ringleader is this man, Korah. And in the opening verse, we are told something about his family background. He is the great-grandson of Levi. That means that Korah belongs to the tribe of Levi. And if you were to flick back to Numbers chapter 1, you don't need to, but in verse 50 onwards, we're told that the tribe of Levi were set apart by God to be responsible for the worship of God. Their responsible, responsibilities, their privileged position was to be, to be the ones who take care of how God's people worship God. We're also told that he is the great-grandson of Levi, but he's the grandson of Kohath. And if you were to flick back to uh, Numbers chapter 3, we read that the division of the tribe of Levi, the Kohathites, they were particularly responsible, get this, for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Only the Kohathites could transport the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. But also get this, Moses and Aaron were of the tribe of Levi and were also of the tribe of Kohath. But God set them apart Moses was set apart to be God's prophet. He was to bring God's word to God's people. He was to receive God's law. He was to be the shepherd leader of the people. Aaron and all of his descendants were set apart by God to be the high priests, the ones responsible ultimately for the sacrifices. So, Korah... Is a cousin of Moses and Aaron. And Korah starts a rebellion in his family. He gets all the other Levites and he gathers other people to rebel against Moses and Aaron. And on the surface of it, he makes it seem that they are the problem because they've taken things too far. By exalting themselves over the people. Just just look at his complaint. Verse 3. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. Literally in the Hebrew, this this could also read, You have taken on too much. Then then notice Korah, right? He's, He's part of a privileged people. He makes a complaint, but he dresses it up in scriptural language. Look at what he says. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Now, Korah was absolutely right. All of God's people were holy. End of chapter 15, God told them to wear tass- put tassels in their clothing. Why? Because God is holy, and they were to be holy. Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, God said this to his people you are a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, my treasured possession. So Korah says, listen, Moses and Aaron, we're all holy. We're all set apart by God. We're all a kingdom of priests. Why is it you try and exalt yourselves over the people by being the special ones? Now, the tragedy of Korah's complaint and all the Levites with him was they were lying. Did Moses ever exalt himself over the people of Israel? Remember Exodus chapter 2 and 3, when God says, Moses, you're going to be my mouthpiece, Moses was the most reluctant leader ever. He made excuse after excuse why he should not be the one to lead God's people. God, by divine constraint, had to make Moses the leader, and he called in Aaron, and Aaron was then later set set apart to be the high priest over Israel. So, So here we've got the cousins of Moses and Aaron, and they're jealous, and they're bitter, and they resent Moses and Aaron. Now, let me tell you what the problem is. These men who should have gone forward in faith when they were right at the edge of the promised land chose to go backwards in unbelief. And you know when you start to backslide as a Christian? You start to become disillusioned with the things of God, disaffected by the ways of the Lord. You start to complain and grumble even about the people of God. Gordon Keddy in his commentary numbers says this, if we are not spiritually content, that is in our hearts, then discontented frustration will always fill the gap between our actual situation and our view of where we think things should be. Here's Korah and his companions and they come because they're so spiritually discontent and they express their frustration and they They blame Moses and they blame Aaron. They resent the fact that they are privileged to be the leaders of God's people. Now, sadly, this is not uncommon in churches. You know, one of the greatest tragedies you can ever see in life is when a family falls apart and they start fighting each other. One of the greatest tragedies is when in church life God's family start to fight each other. And people start joking for positions. And people start complaining about others. He, she gets more recognition than me. I want recognition. And the tragedy here is that is often a symptom that spiritually we are not in a good place. We've not been going forward with the Lord, but backward in unbelief. In fact, if you, if you just want to do a little heart check right now. If you want to know if you're in a spiritually good place, just examine your past week and ask yourself, how much have you been complaining, moaning, and grumbling about the purposes of the Lord, about the Lord's people? Now, in response to this accusation that's brought against Moses and Aaron, look at how they respond. Here's here's the response. Verse 4, they fell flat on their faces. That is to say, they, they got down on their knees and they began praying. So so people come to them and they make these accusations, they, they persecute them with words, they 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 dress it up in scriptural language and they say, You guys are exalting yourselves over us, and Moses and Aaron's response is to get down on their knees and to start praying. And there's a lesson there for us, isn't it, isn't there? When we're slandered, when we're rejected, who do you turn to? Don't turn to the people, turn to your God. You don't need to understand what is happening. You don't even still need to understand what is going to happen. What you need to know is that you can be still and know that God is yours and you can cast yourself completely upon him knowing that he is in complete control of everything. Your prayer life says more about you than anything else. If you don't pray means you're trusting in yourself. If you pray, it's a a revelation that you're trusting and depending upon the Lord. Moses and Aaron were not exalting themselves. They were being obedient to the Lord and his purposes. They were seeking to go forward in faith. Now, now look at what happens, right? In in verses 5 and 7, as they get up from prayer, Moses, he now tells Korah and his companions that he doesn't want to decide this matter. He wants the Lord to decide this matter. Are they in the right position? Has God set them as the leaders over God's people? And so here's what he says. He says, I want you, Korah, and all your followers to go and tomorrow morning come back at the tent of meeting, bring a censer, fill it with fire and incense, and let's see if you guys can demonstrate that you are priests like Aaron. Now, if you know Leviticus chapter 10, you know that Aaron had two sons who came to the altar of the Lord, and they offered strange fire that the Lord had not commanded, and God struck them down dead. So Moses is saying, in essence, let's do that test again. Let's see if you guys can bring fire and offer it before the Lord, and if you are holy, and if you are true priests. Now, Cora and his companions at that moment should have said, nope, we can't. But they were blind to their selves. They were blind to their sin. And they thought, we're holy. We're a kingdom of priests. We can take this role upon ourselves. Now, I want you to notice that, that in this, Moses does not try and decide the matter himself. He does not seek to vindicate himself. He does not try and defend himself. He says, let's let the Lord tomorrow decide this matter. In life, we must always let the Lord Vindicate us. Now, it's brilliant. At the end of verse 7, Korah's come to Moses and said, you have gone too far. End of verse 7, Moses responds, you have gone too far, sons of Levi. Now, here's another little lesson for us. See the sins that you often see in other people that you grumble about and you complain about. Be very careful. Because it's often the sin that you yourself are guilty of. You know, my Sunday school teacher when I was a kid used to say, always be careful when you point the finger. And I'm terrible. I'm a Scottish preacher and we just point our finger all the time. Be careful when you point your finger because there's four fingers pointing back at you. And, and here was Korah and his companions and they're saying to Moses, you've gone too far. You've taken on too much. And now Moses says, Korah and your companions, you guys have gone too far. Now look at what he says next. Is it a too small a thing for you? The God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel. You've got to understand that the tribe of Levi was set apart to bring you near to himself to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation and to minister to them. That he's brought you near to him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you. God had given The Levites, the most incredible position, they served in the tabernacle. Korah and his companions were responsible for the transportation of the ark. And they'd forgot that they were so blessed by God, so privileged by the Lord. And they started envying and resenting Moses and Aaron. Now, you know, if you want to get insight into the heart of a problem, and that's what Moses clearly has here, the problem is what's going on in Koran, his companion's heart. You often get it when you're on your knees in prayer. So it's no surprise that when Moses stands up, he gets to the heart of the problem. Look at verse 10. And would you seek the priesthood also? Even set apart to, to be responsible for the worship of God. They're not the high priesthood, but... Now they seek it. And, and, and Moses says to them, Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. It's not against Aaron, it is against God. You are dismissive of God's purposes for you. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? You know what Moses does here as he responds to this complaint? He exposes Korah and his companions for what their true problem is, they're rebelling against a holy God. You know when you and I sin, it's exactly what we're doing, we're rebelling against a holy Lord. You know sometimes we, we, we can think of it as nothing, but you know when you envy someone else's position, you know when you want greater recognition, you know when you want increased influence, you might think it's, oh, it's just a little problem, you're rebelling against the Lord's good purposes for where he's placed you and set you in life. The root problem here was these people had pride and they rebelled against the Lord God of heaven who'd set them apart for a very specific purpose. So we've looked at Koran, his companion's rebellion. We've looked at Moses and Aaron's response. We actually don't get the God's response yet because there's another revolt, and. It's really fascinating. It's the one of the Reubenites. So let's look at the second rebellion, of, led by Dathan and Abiram. Now, we don't know what happened, but some way it came to Moses' attention that the, that the Levites weren't the only ones who were complaining against him and Aaron. So too were the Reubenites. And so Moses, in verse 12, sends word to the Reubenites to Dathan and Abiram in particular, to come here. Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, sons of Elab, and they said, we will not come up. Now as a parent, right, when Theo has done something wrong, and I say to him, Theo, come here right now. And he responds and says to me, no, that is the most... (laughs) rebellious act. It's hard as a parent because he is saying, I am not going to do what you tell me. Now, this isn't a childish strop here. This is the Rubenite saying, no, we reject you as God's appointed leaders over us. We will not come up. This is flagrant, high-handed defiance and disobedience. Now, what they say next is absolutely outrageous. They take upon themselves the the, the opening line of Moses and Aaron, and they say, okay, you're saying, is it not a small thing that God had set the Levites apart? Well, hear our complaint. Is it a small thing that you, Moses and Aaron, have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey? Now, just stop there. Do Do you realize what they're saying here? They're saying that Egypt, was a land flowing of milk and honey. They put on these rose-tinted spectacles. They, they, they think back to the past and they say, when we were in Egypt, it was great. It was wonderful. Even though it was a concentration camp of enforced labor and they cried out day after day to the Lord to come and deliver them. They rewrite their history. And then they say, and you've brought us up out of Egypt, the land flowing of milk and honey, to kill us in the desert. Moses, you've led us out here and your desire is that we die in the desert. And then they add in that you must also make yourself a prince over us. Moreover, you've not just brought, nor, moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey. Now they're referring to the fact that Moses has not brought them into the land of Canaan, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Now, this again... It's just flagrant disobedience. What was the reason the people of God did not enter the promised land, the land flown of milk and honey? They chose not to go forward in faith themselves, but to go backwards in unbelief. And now they're putting the blame on Moses? It's interesting how people who rebel against the Lord can easily start rewriting history. Will you put out the eyes of these men? And and, and that's actually just an idiomatic way of them saying, you might have blinded some of the people in this congregation and and all all, all of Israel, but you're not going to blind us to the reality. You, Moses, you, Aaron, you seek to lord it over us. Now, there's two occasions, or a few occasions where we read that Moses was angry. One of them, will come to numbers, and it's a tragic occasion. But on this occasion, we read these words, Moses was very angry. And you can understand why. He's been lied, slandered, complained about, persecuted. And he is furious. And it's righteous anger. You know when people sin against you? It is an appropriate response to hate it. Because it's sin. It's not right. It's wrong. But you know the danger is when you and I get angry? Is we want to fight fire with fire. We want to let our anger out and we want to let it rip to the people who have wronged us. Learn from Moses. He's very angry and who does he turn to? The Lord. Look what, what, what happens. He goes to the Lord. And Moses... verse 15, and said to the Lord, do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, and I've not hammered one of them. Moses knew this about God, that God is the searcher of all men's hearts, that God knew his heart better than Moses knew his own heart. And with a judgment day honesty, Moses goes before the Lord and he declares himself innocent. God, I have not done what they're saying I'm, I'm doing. And he says, God, I care so much about your glory and honor. Reject their offering. These are evil men with poisonous tongues spreading lies. And you know one of the reasons we can take Moses serious is because every time he is wronged, he turns not to his own devices, he turns to the Lord. Moses, truly it can be said of him, was a man of God. Concerned for the glory of God. Now, herein ends the second rebellion. So we've seen the first rebellion led by Korah, the second rebellion led by Dathan and Abiram. We've seen Moses and Aaron's response. Now here we're going to see the reckoning with the Lord. You see, Moses then says the same thing that he said to Korah, I want you to come tomorrow with censors All of you, and let's meet at the tent of meeting. And so we read in verse 18, every man took his censers, put fire in them, laid incense in them, stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Do you know what Korah does? He gets all of Israel, come, everybody. And in the showdown, you're going to see Moses and Aaron destroyed. Come, everybody, come, come. And so everybody gathers at the tent of meeting. And then the glory of the Lord appears. And so you've got Korah and all the the complainants standing and they're blindly confident, confident that Moses and Aaron are about to be destroyed. And then the Lord speaks. And when he speaks the first time, he speaks clearly only in a way that Moses and Aaron heard. He addresses them directly. Verse 20, the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, separate yourselves from this congregation that I may consume them. In a moment, God responds and he responds in his just judgment. These people, all of them, are rejecting you, my God-appointed leaders, and God wants to sweep them away. Now, you want to know the heart of a man of God? See, see if I was in Moses' shoe, right? I think perhaps everybody's like standing against your leadership. Everybody's against you. Everybody's spreading lies about you. Look a part of me is like, okay, God, just strike them down. Why? I'm so angry. The heart of a man of God, here it is Moses and Aaron fell on their faces. What did they do? If the partner of the people is to grumble and complain, the pattern and the posture of Moses and Aaron is to pray. O oh God, the God of the spirits of all the flesh, shall one man sin and you'll be angry with all the congregation. Here's what Moses and Aaron know about God. God is perfectly just, but God is also merciful. And so they say, God, do not strike down all of the congregation right now. Have mercy upon them. Why, does he pray? Why do they pray that? Because they love the people because they're not exalting themselves over the people, because they're there to serve the people. They're true leaders of the people of God. And so, verse 23, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to the congregation, get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And so God gives the people the opportunity to stand back and his mercy on them. But then we have the Lord's reckoning. Verse 35, then it came about as he finished speaking all these words that the ground was opened, it split open, and the earth opened its mouth, and it swallowed them up, their households, and all the men who belonged to Korah, and all his possessions. And then the fire of the Lord came and consumed the 250 leaders. God acts in judgment, perfect judgment. Here was the Lord deciding the matter. These men came and they offered false fire. They were not priests. They were not God's appointed leaders. They were rebels and apostates. Now, we stand back from this passage and we see the judgment of God, and it should cause us to tremble. Play games with God, lie against men, and know that you're ultimately lying against God, it is dangerous business. But I don't want you to miss this. Even in the midst of God's perfect judgment, we know that he showed mercy. You know what's fascinating is the first song that we sang this morning was Psalm 84. And if you were to read the title of that psalm, it says, by the sons of Korah. You read that 11 times in the Psalter by the sons of Korah. We know that when God said to his people, when God said to Moses, okay, let the congregation separate themselves, some of the sons of Korah stepped back and said, we're not going to rebel with our father. We're going to hear the opportunity to turn and and, and for God to have mercy on us. And one of the most incredible things is that God who's perfectly just is also the God who's perfectly merciful and gracious to people who will relent and turn to him. And and you know, when I stand back from this little moment of judgment, there's something I see that points me to Jesus. Isn't it fascinating, right, that the fire of God's wrath on the cross consumed Jesus? Isn't it fascinating that Jesus for three days spent time swallowed up in the earth in the tomb? Isn't it fascinating that Jesus took that punishment on the cross as if he was the rebel? So that he died in the wilderness so that his people could enter the promised land. And that's because this whole passage is kind of pointless. God's perfect judgment of a holy God in an act to be mercy, he's willing to take it upon his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for us so that we can know relationship to him. And so here's, here's one of the things that, to to encourage us to go forward in faith. If you want to go forward in faith, the first thing you need to do is look backwards to the cross and realize that you have got a path to mercy and righteousness. You need to survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died and see that there is a way for you to be forgiven and restored. Now, we, we saw this last week. I need to move very quickly because time is gone, but in verses 36 to 40, God says to Eliezer, one of the sons of Aaron, who's going to feature prominently in the story to come, Now, go into the fire and take all the censers, bring them back, hammer them, put them on the altar, so that when everybody sees the altar, they'll know visually you don't play games with God. Only the descendants of Aaron will offer sacrifices. God's really kind to his people. He gives us visual reminders so that we will never forget his glorious purposes. The cross, the Lord's supper, baptism. But then we get to the final section, verse forty-one to fifty, and very quickly time has escaped us. But I need you to see just how how sinful the people of God were. The next day, they wake up in the morning, and they start grumbling and complaining. And they grumble and complain against Moses and Aaron. And they say, you men killed the people of the Lord. Do you know what they say? Those guilty men were innocent. And you, Moses and Aaron, you're guilty. And again, it's, it is sheer defiance. You would think they'd learned the lesson of Korah and his companions. But here's the thing. If history teaches us anything, is that we never learn from history, not even church history. And God's people make the exact same mistake. They repeat the exact same pattern. They grumble, they murmur, they complain. And here's the reason. It's because they didn't go forward in faith. It's because they've been going backward in unbelief. And so, what does Moses and Aaron do? How do they respond? They repeat the pattern. They fall down on their knees. And they pray. Now, here's the thing. God has started already, as they are down on their knees, to execute his judgment. He sends a plague among the people. Moses turns to Aaron on his knees and he says, Aaron, the the high priest of God's people, get up, put fire and incense in your censer, run into the middle of the people and make atonement. And so here's this visual picture. Aaron runs into this plague-stricken congregation, and it says there he stood between the living and the dead. 14,700 people died of the plague. But as Aaron stood in the middle as the high priest, he made atonement. That is literally he turned the wrath of God away from the people in his actions so that all of the congregation of Israel were not consumed in a moment. So we see it again, God's response is judgment and mercy and his means as a mediator is his high priest. Now, I don't know about you, but when I studied that last passage, all I can do is think about Jesus who stands between the living and the dead. All I can do is think about the one who came to die in the place of his people to avert the wrath of God so that we don't need to face what we truly deserve. You see, Aaron lays the groundwork for Christ's high priesthood. But when you read the book of Hebrews, we see that Christ is not a priest in the order of Aaron. He's a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Because he's a far greater, far better high priest than Aaron ever could be. As amazing as Aaron's moment was here. Christ, by his perfect life, his death, his resurrection, his heavenly intercession... He has opened up a new and living way for you and for me if we turn in faith and belief to come right into the very holy presence of God. This morning, brothers and sisters, we sit in the presence of a holy God who searches all our hearts, who knows all our rebellions, and here's the call. Is your faith firmly fixed in Jesus Christ, the high priest. If it's not, you will face God's judgment. If it is, you will dwell in his presence forevermore. And so the invitation is to come. Come and survey the wondrous cross in which the Prince of Glory died. Come and see what your holy God did for you. Let's pray. God, we tremble in your holy presence because we acknowledge whose presence we are in and where we can now sit and stand because of what Christ has done. And God, we, we, we look at this story of your people of old rebellion one time after another time after another time, and the tragedy is, as we look at their rebellion, it's like we're looking in a mirror because we are those who are so prone to sin against you time and time again. We grumble and we complain. We grumble and complain against your people, but ultimately we're grumbling and complaining against your you, God. And so we pray that you in wrath would remember mercy. We lift up our eyes of faith to your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the great high priest over the household of God. And we stand in awe of him who took your wrath in our place so that we could know your forgiveness and we could know life and life in its abundance. Oh, may we be like the sons of Korah, who learnt to say, How lovely, how beautiful are the dwelling is the dwelling place of God, O Lord Almighty to me. Better is one day in your presence than a thousand elsewhere. Hear this our prayer, as we offer it in Jesus' name. Amen.